Welcome to Free Thoughts. I'm Trevor Burris. Joining me today is Norbert Michel, Vice President and Director of the Cato Institute Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives. Welcome to Free Thoughts, Norbert. Hey, Trevor. Thank you for having me on. Well, recent numbers have come out actually this morning, uh, and once again, it looks like inflation is at a level that we haven't seen in at least 40 years. So, so how bad? How bad is it now? It's not good. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, it, it's and 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 it's not necessarily completely trending down the way we would like it to yet, um, which I think is a bigger issue, really, um, given the 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 sort of economic turmoil that we've gone through uh, with regard to the pandemic and the shutdowns. You know, I don't. I mean, it's not altogether surprising what's happened. Um, and for the last, I don't know, it seems like maybe even the last 12 months we've had, you know, each CPI report comes out and we say, well, this is the worst we've had since 1981, or this is the worst we've had since 1982 or, you know, something like that. Um, so, and, and the trend has been a little bit up and down, um, but kind of just rising to flat maybe in the recent one, but the, the one point. So the monthly change was 1.3% versus last year, last month's 1%. So that's, that's not the right direction. Um, and I think that that's probably more important than the fact that it's a 9% annualized rate now, because, because that's been elevated and that's kind of what's happened. And the month, the month, the month, the month trend is probably a little bit more important right now, given that the Fed started tightening. So you mean that just to clarify that the rate is not going down over the months and it sh- by at least some predictive models it should have gone down given what the Fed has done. Yeah, you would have they certainly would have loved to have seen the trend come down by now. <laughs> um but I mean that's that could partly be because they started tightening a little bit late. Um you know, I think, but I honestly do think that even if they had started tightening a little bit earlier, the number probably wouldn't be too different right now. It's probably just going to stay elevated for a little bit. Well, let's get into that because there's multiple causes here. You you pointed out, you, you said that given the economic shock of the pandemic, we would expect this. Yeah. Why was it? Was it because of the, the spending bills or why would, why would we expect the prices to go up? So- so both the spending bills and the supply problems. Um, and now supply problems is a really big catch-all, but um, you you have all kinds of different supply chain issues going on. Some of them were worsened by the shutdowns. Um, they magnify each other. Labor problems magnify them. Uh, and, and in the opposite direction, probably. Um, so what we have is essentially the inability to produce as much as we would want of a lot of different goods. And you layer on top of that, uh, a, a large dose of fiscal stimulus, you're increasing the demand and increasing the amount of people who are going to be bidding up the same constrained resources. So you're going to get inflation. It's just a question of exactly when and exactly how much. And we're starting to get an idea of that now. <laughs> well, that makes it, that makes a different type of phenomenon, though, than the monetary phenomenon. Uh, the the quote: If anyone knows a quote about inflation, 
it is Milton Friedman's inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. But but he wouldn't also say like price increases in general is not always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. That's that's clear from just you know looking at Pokemon cards or whatever thing happens to you know, go up in price. Inflation is different than just price increases, correct? That's right. We can't one one fatal mistake that we make um, by we. I just mean people in the profession and journalists in general, uh, people in general. We look at something like gas prices, just gas prices, and we say, "Oh, it's inflation." Well, that may or may not be true, you know. And the fact that just gas prices go up by itself—that's not inflation. You know, you need the entire price level to go up to be inflation. So that's that's true. Beyond that, you know, Friedman said something very specific, and it gets twisted, you know. And and Friedman was no dummy. Um, <laughs> You know, and he didn't mean a lot of the things that people say that that little quote meant. <laughs> There's a second part to it, which which you, I don't know if you know by heart, but you can give the, the gist of. Sure. No, the gist of it is that he was very careful to clarify exactly what he meant by saying inflation is always a monetary phenomenon in the sense that it is caused by a higher grade of uh, a higher growth rate in money relative to output. So it has something to do with how much we can produce and how fast we can produce it. So, you know, um, I, I like to think of, this is, this is a classic supply side problem uh, piece to this, to this whole story. And I like to use a hurricane as an example um, from New Orleans, very familiar with hurricanes coming through the Gulf of Mexico there's lots of oil rigs out there. <laughs> um, you get a really bad hurricane and it basically shuts down all of that oil production for quite a while. And if it's bad enough, it even shuts down some of the refining production that we have all around the Mississippi Valley. So it that is a classic supply shock and meaning that we're not going to be able to produce as much oil and we're not going to be able to produce as much gasoline as we thought we were. And it makes no sense to blame the Fed for that. You're going to get higher prices, but you're going to get higher prices because production shut down. You don't have enough. And so people are going to start bidding up what is left. And that's not the Fed's fault. Well, let's take a step back then because uh, you mentioned the CPI. Um, mm -hmm. Can you clarify what the CPI is and how we use that to measure inflation? And then also, if you would, the criticisms of the CPI, there's because there's quite a few. That oh, it's, yeah. not, it's not a very yeah. good measure, but but it's like what we use, nevertheless. Sure. No. No. So the, the the CPI would be the the consumer price index that the Bureau of Labor the Bureau of Labor Statistics puts out. It is one measure of the overall price level. Um, an alternative measure would be the personal consumption expenditure index, which is PCE index. They are not exactly the same. They do measure some slightly different things in slightly different ways. So you get slightly different numbers. Um, this, there's a lot of research that shows that the CPI is probably a little bit biased in terms of upward inflation. So it makes inflation look a little worse than it really is. That's not necessarily such a big deal on a month-to-month -month basis, but it is a big deal on a long-term basis. Um, so when you look at something like making cost of living adjustments for inflation to Social Security over a 20 year period, you're talking about a really large impact. Um, 
they're the, the, I mean, without getting into like all the weeds, the, the basic shortcomings are like the, the, the problem, so to speak, is that it, there are lots of biases in there. You have to do a lot of estimating. You have to do a lot of, uh, artful adjustments <laughs> to try to get at the entire price level. What, you know, what is the whole price level doing? Well, go, so, so for, to clarify, the, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, I assume that they have people who go out and look at the price yes. around the country of, That's right. like a, of a basket of goods is what they That's are right. often described as, right? So w- what does a dozen eggs cost in Seattle, in Des Moines, and in New Orleans, for example? And they, and they do some sort of stuff to put that together, and they do that on a, a – yeah monthly basis or however often they put it out. It's it's something like that, right? A, a basket right. of goods chosen in a certain way. Very weighted, if I remember correctly, toward like foodstuffs and like more essentials. It's not big screen televisions. It's it's more foodstuffs and gas and things like that, correct? Well, they're they're all in there. Um so the, the all the food items there's so they do something called the consumer expenditure survey to put this together. Um, and there are, I mean, I, I think well over a thousand individual categories of goods that we buy goods and services that we buy. Um, and you know, there are lots of different specific food items, you know, so it's not just dairy products. It's all the different kinds. It's not just meat. It's all the different kinds. Um, but there are also TVs in there and there are also electronic, other electronic equipment, um, all kinds of recreational goods, just they're trying to be as comprehensive as they can. The, the problem comes in, um, well, one problem comes in with something like, uh, think of it as a, we'll call it a quality adjustment. So computers are in there. And prior to 1984-ish, you, nobody had personal computers in their homes. You know? And then after that, we started getting more. Well, you know, now... The computers that we have now versus the computers that we had in, say, even 1995 or 1999 are very different, right? Uh, Flat screen, higher power, better processors, you know, so they may cost less. They may even cost a little bit more nominally, but you're not really comparing the same exact good anymore, you know, Um, so... Same thing with phones, you know, things like that. And, and even uh, televisions, like just, they're, they're, you know, a smart TV isn't the same as the, the one that I grew up with in the 1970s that had a credenza. A clicker, a literal it. clicker. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, I, I remember, you know, uh, as late as 2000, early 2000s, a, a 50-inch television was probably $2,500 in 2000 money, right? And now they're on blowout at Costco for 300 bucks. So it's, it's right. hard to measure in that way what the inflation level is. Yeah. No, there's, so it's, it's tricky. Um, and, 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 you know, keeping in mind, they're trying to get uh, sort of like a, a measure that you can look at through time to see what is happening to the price level. So, so it's not, it's not that we can dismiss these things about the different quality in these products and the different, uh, you know, use that you get for your dollar, the, the different value that you get for your dollar. Um, so it, they, they're, it, these things do have to be accounted for in some way and it's not an exact science. Um, and then when you get into something like 
housing. Well, you know, a house isn't a consumer product, but the, 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 the shelter service, so to speak, that we pay for is. So you have to account for that. Well, there's no market for that. You know, if you're, if you're renting, you could use the rental price, but if you're not renting, then you have to go to something else. So, so it's a mess. You know, if you're going to try to be comprehensive, you end up with a lot of statistical techniques and it's not an exact science. It's not as simple as going and going to the supermarkets in the different cities and taking a bunch of samples. Um, so they, the, the BLS does the CPI one way. Um, the Census Bureau does the PCE a different way. And basically, most economists would say that the PCE is probably a better measure. Um, so that's, you know, that's, those, are, those are kind of what we deal with. And incidentally, the new PCE numbers won't be out for a little while yet. Um, but those trends do look better. And of course, the Fed has always said that they prefer the PCE. Uh, of course, that means that most people that hate the Fed bash the Fed and say, well, of course you pick the PCE. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so going back to the, to the cause, it does seem since, you know, before some of these inflation numbers were coming out, we were hearing about all these problems associated with pandemic era production supply shocks, including, you know, pork, uh, you know, uh, pork products, eggs, obviously computer chips. That was a big one ca causing just a huge amount of problems to get things that we expect to be on the shelves. And then of course, if we're good economists, we know we have to let the price go up to uh, do better rationing of meeting supply and demand together. But so, it, you know, taking what I'm sure is president Biden's position, which is that this isn't his fault. This, he, he got in to be president at a very singular time, uh, after um, in the waning days of a pandemic where that caused economic di disruptions that people haven't seen for a century. Um, and so that the main reason for the prices going up are these supply shocks and not the, the monetary phenomenon. Is there something to that argument? There's something to it. I, I would add that he is responsible for some of the fiscal part um, and also responsible for some of the shutdown part. Uh, and not coming up with a better, more rational policy on that side. Um, but I mean, those are, those are arguments that, you know, reasonable people can have, I'm sure. Uh, but there is definitely something to that. This is not all on his policies. Yes, that is, that is more than fair. Um, there's a lot of blame to go around and, I think most of it, I think most of it is on the fiscal side um, and across both administrations, you know, but I mean, most of this did happen under the previous one. So uh, much of it did, I don't say most, but much of it did um, on the Fed side. I think the biggest thing that you could fault them for is bad timing. Um, you know, I think there are good reasons for them to have started tightening either just prior to or just after the new year. January. Um, and George Selgin that works with us at Cato, you know, he was saying probably November, December, I was saying January. I mean, I don't think there's that much of a difference And the fed waited until March. So pro 
probably could have started a little sooner, but you know, that's, that's not a heavy criticism. Would it have been, what, what would they be watching? I mean, they'd be watching the CPI and trying to find things that are leading indicators, I guess, because they're often, they seem to be often behind the curve uh, because the indicators they're looking at are, are actually lagging indicators like unemployment rate and things like this. But what, 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 what were you looking at that said you should have, you know, gone sure. in, in January? Well, I'm, I'm sure they were looking at all kinds of stuff, you know, I, I don't know, but, um, <laughs> um, what, what we were looking at, George and I both, we were looking at total nominal spending in the economy and we were saying, you know, look, you, if you want to avoid having to deal with the supply side stuff, the right way of doing it is just looking at total spending because that's a better measure of demand. And if you look at the pre-pandemic trend of total spending, total output in the economy, if you will, um, you, you, you get a nice trend line going up and then you get the pandemic and it drops. And then you can see when it got back to trend. And in, in around November, it was basically, depending on how you did the trend, it was basically at or just above the pre-pandemic trend. So the, so the demand had clearly come back. And then if it continues to go up over and above the pre pre-pandemic trend, well, then you have to attribute a lot of that to the demand side stuff. So Monetary policy can do something about that. that that's and, exactly and by demand side, you mean that people people having essentially too much easy money or too much money in their pockets to to chase after fewer goods. The classic formulation of inflation. Yes. So you get more spending, more demand, more spending, prices rise, right? That kind of thing, right? So it's a classic inflation story on that side. So yeah, so you can see some of that starting to manifest, um, and I think that you're, but but you and and it's true also that you we we still haven't gotten rid of all the supply problems that we have so so you make you can make a good case for yeah, it took me yeah. 18 months to get a playstation 5 so we definitely have not See? gotten rid of exactly yeah, that's, it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly right no it still happens like i i, I wanted to get a, a like a, a weight bench a particular weight bench i still can't get it so i yeah no it, it, they're not clear you know it's just not it hasn't all cleared so i think what, what I So we were looking at the demand side and saying, you know, it's probably best to start tightening now. Still want to be careful. Don't want to go crazy and tighten too much. Um, but it would probably be better to start now, sooner rather than later, so that you don't have to tighten as much later um, if, if inflation does keep going. And they never listened to me, so that's fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Now, so they didn't, and now you're having these abnormally high rate target increases, right? So instead of just like a quarter point, they're doing three quarters of a point. Now there's even talk of maybe a full point, you know, a full one percentage point tightening. Um, uh, would that be unprecedented in terms of how big, at least recent? Very unusual. I, I don't know if it would be completely unprecedented. I'd have to check. But it would be very unusual for sure. Well, and that history lesson, like let's get into the history a bit. We talk a lot about this late seventies. We, I mean, people in our profession and and people on TV, this late seventies stagflation inflation era that we had. 
And up until 1981, all these measures go back. Like all of them seem to say, you know, highest since 1981, highest since 1981. Um, what what happened in that last part of the 70s uh, up until 1981? And then and what did the what did the Fed do then to rectify? The Fed pretty much lost control of inflation. Um, I mean, that's that's the sort of Lay, layperson way of saying it. Um, the average inflation rate was just in double digits for a long period of time. They, no matter what they tried to do on the, even on the, even with fiscal help, uh, they were just, they couldn't get it under control. And um, you had uh, under Volcker, you had a, a massive, massive commitment to tightening and a, and a sh- really massive tightening. Um, a lot of people would say that it induced the recession. I suppose that's fine, you know. But it, regardless, there was a massive tightening. There was a recession, pretty severe recession in the early '80s, um, because they had to do that in order to get inflation back under control and to get people to realize, yeah, the monetary authority is actually serious about fighting inflation, because it had appeared after about a decade or so that maybe they weren't. <laughs> so to have any credibility, they had to do that. They had to do something drastic. Um, and that's, that's what we got. So you, you, they probably knew that a recession would result. Um, and it was the better of the two options. I believe that's accurate. Yeah. I, I would say that's accurate. I mean, in the free market sense, and I know that there's talk of, I think it's what July 29th is when we have the the next quarter's numbers of whether or not we will be in a recession. But I mean, in the free market sense, recessions aren't necessarily bad, correct? I don't want to say whether they're good or bad, but I mean, it's not. There's nothing in the free market that says you can never have a downturn and you always have to have a growing economy, right? So. I mean, part of the idea here is that if if there is misallocation of resources, we need some readjustment to reallocate. Correct? I mean, yeah, no, that's that's fair. And right. if that happens over two quarters, then we could we call that a recession, but it's just an adjustment on one level, unless it's artificial or fake in some way. Yeah, it doesn't have to be bad. No, that's right. No, and, and it could be it could become everything could be done more efficiently, more effectively. In the economic sense, more efficiently, and yeah, so it's not necessarily a terrible thing. And a lot of a lot of them are mild. Oh yeah, Sorry. a lot of yeah, the, 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 a lot of them are mild. So, what's the connection between the Fed's behavior and what they what they're doing now, and and the fear of a recession? To when we say that the Fed's tightening, basically what they're trying to do is tamp down on the overall flow of credit in the economy, and that's really all they can do. So the fear is that they will have to clamp down so hard on the overall flow of credit in the economy that it will induce a recession. Nobody will be able to get credit to basically do you know anything if you want to go extreme, right? But companies that need short-term loans for working capital won't be able to get them, so they won't buy as much inventory and, and so on down the line. Um, and, and that kind of recession could be bad. So that's that's... That's the fear. Of course, to clarify, you, you just uh, what the Fed does for uh, maybe we just want to insert this here is adjust the interest rates that banks pay on what they get from bigger banks. Essentially, I'm, I'm very much dumbing this down, but that's that's essentially what the only thing they can really do. Correct? 
Yeah, and that's it. No, they they can try to uh, affect credit market conditions such that banks source of funds are more exp- is more expensive, or banks find it more expensive to fund their operations. And if they find it more expensive to fund their operations, they're going to charge you more. And if they're charging more, you're going to borrow less. I mean, that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, and they can't necessarily do that. The Fed can't on a targeted basis, you know, so they can't say, well, and I don't think we would want them to. But, you know, they're not going to say, well, gas prices are up. So we're going to go find out who's borrowing and using those funds to buy gas. And we're going to clamp down on that. That they can't do that. Um, so they, they can do it on an aggregate basis. They can just try to look at the entire system um, and make it more difficult to make loans across the entire country. Libertarians like to bitch about the Fed, of course, as a major yeah. pastime. Uh, <laughs> but it also seems like, you know, in 1981, maybe, you know, they, they did the right thing. Uh, yeah clamping down and since then we've had historically low inflation until recently keeping it at about two percent so it seems like they've they've done a pretty good job even though we can like complain about them in the abstract and be like well you know it's whatever however that is we know it's fiat currency and we need to have a gold standard and stuff but but i find it interesting that there's always libertarians predicting monetary collapse uh, there's about in, in the Cato basement there, um, you can go look at all these old books that are predicting the collapse of money, 1986, 1987. So, and I think if we're being honest, like the fed hasn't been a complete failure, right? I mean, they, they haven't, they've done okay. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, on just on pure monetary policy grounds, especially starting with Volcker and that we'll call it the great moderation period. Yeah. Um, and I think where they got into trouble uh, around the 08 crisis, you know, was the stuff that they were doing that really wasn't pure monetary policy. Um, and that, and in my mind, that's still more important. Um, that's a bigger issue um, than just the pure monetary policy portion. And even on, on the pure monetary po- policy portion right now, I don't think I think it's very hard to fault them uh, for what they're doing. Given, of course, the framework that we have and the mandate that they have, you know, I, I don't think you can you can you can't criticize them the way you could have in the sixties and seventies. Um, so yeah, and if you look at the Great Moderation period, I mean, it's one of the more prosperous periods in our nation's history. So yeah, I mean, you got to at least if you're going to blame them for all the other stuff, you have to at least admit that that was a good period. Um, and nobody running the Fed during that period was running the Fed in 1913 and the 1930s. So, you know, it's, it goes with everything else, right? It comes with, it, it, it is the fiscal agent of the government. And, and you can't just look at the Fed in a vacuum. In the traditional story, too, you know, inflation is caused by printing money. Um, now, we don't so much print most of the money as just change digital ledgers. Uh, but printing money and then, you know, the, in the classic Weimar or, or recently in Zimbabwe or Venezuela, the money itself, the, the, pay, the, the pieces of paper become, you know, worth more for fuel, for burning as fuel or wallpaper or something than actually is as currency. Um, does that seem 
I mean, that that's the kind of thing where, again, libertarians start saying, oh, you passed a $4 trillion spending bill or you passed another thing and you have this deficit, that this is essentially the same thing that's going to happen to us as Weimar eventually because of the level of spending we have. Um, is that really a concern? I mean, to get to, that we, America would get to a Weimar level of inflation, uh, given the size of our economy and, and, and our influence in the world? Is it really that realistic of concern? I mean, given the hard work that the Fed has done to, to get any credibility in inflation fighting, you know, prior to this period, uh, and given the sort of commitment that they already are making to try to get it back under control, I'm not super concerned about something like that right now. I don't want to take it off the table um, and say, just don't ever worry about it. The reasons that I would give for worrying about it, though, are much different than what I think most people who criticize the Fed in our circles do anyway. Um, and it's kind of what you alluded to, you know, so like the printing money thing. And I don't blame them directly. Uh, I blame I blame them indirectly. But again, they are a fiscal they are the fiscal agent of the US Treasury. And what they've done is they have set up a framework, partly in an innocent way, um, that makes it much easier to accommodate fiscal policy and to still legitimately say what we're doing is not going to affect inflation. And, 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 and that's the large balance sheet stuff. That's the QE stuff. Uh, some people, George, depending on how you do it, you might call it fiscal QE. And when you, when you compare or when you look at that, along with the entitlement spending problems that we know are coming, and you see the pressures that they're getting from mostly people on the left in Congress to do things like a Green New Deal, um, you know, or, or massive some kind you know, UBI programs or, or whatever that might be, right? That, yeah, then that does become worrisome uh, because you could very quickly fall into that trap. If, if that's what you're doing, because really and truly that's what drove the Weimar stuff. I mean, it's, it's a fiscal thing. It's not just this independent central bank saying, Oh, we're going to print more money, you know, to manage the economy. It's, it is, there is absolutely positively a fiscal component, a borrowing component, a government driven component to, you know, being able to buy what they want. <laughs> True. I'm, I'm, yes. That's a lot of this is what they want to buy, but I, I think I remember it must've been, 86, 87 ish, you might know better exactly. When we hit a billion dollar deficit uh, in one year, um, and it was, it was a big deal, you know. And again, the same type of chicken littles were coming out and saying, you know, what, you know, we can, this can't go on that long. You know, you know pretty much, pretty soon you're talking about real money, those kind of people. Well, well now we've obliterated this by orders of magnitude. Um, and is this just chickens coming home to roost now that we're actually seeing what people predicted? Or or if we're being honest, were a lot of the chicken littles in the 80s a little bit too uh, too afraid of deficit spending um, and, their, and their models didn't end up being correct in terms of the inflation they would expect to come from that? I suspect I suspect some of them were. Um, you know, I don't I don't know that any of the models would have envisioned this sort of situation. 
um, somewhere in there, and I might my my dates might be off. I'm 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 not sure now if it was during Nixon Carter or early Reagan changed the whole Social Security formula. So your, your benefits weren't tied to inflation. They were just tied to inflation. They were in tie, and, and it wasn't just a poverty benefit, anti-poverty benefit. It was, it was tied to how much you earned. Well, that blew that system out of the water, you know? So, and, and it did so for the future generation, right? So that, so, and if you have, and I guess what I'm saying is, you know, you didn't have a lot of, and a lot of those models weren't accounting for that. A lot of those chicken littles weren't really accounting for that. Some of them might have been, um, you know, but I don't think most of them were. And then if you look forward now, and, and I'm not I'm not saying the sky is falling right now. I am saying it is something that we should address because it, it is a problem. And now you have a situation where it's even easier for the Federal Reserve to be used as a pawn in the, by the treasury, even if they don't want to, I mean, it's, it's there. Um, they've, they've put in a mechanism where they don't really have the political cover that they used to have. Um, and everybody knows it. So they, they, there's a problem there. There's a big problem there. Is this an independence thing? Is it, I mean, you said being used as an independence like issue of the fed, because you said being used as a pawn, but I'm, they don't work for Congress, like so. I mean, I guess if you run the Fed or you're on the board of the Fed board, you need to. Uh, if they pass a four trillion dollar spending bill, you need to figure out kind of where that money is coming from, in some sense. So, so you mentioned a little bit. So, so what were they doing? What have they been doing different than they used to do when they just sort of said, "All right, this is just a big deficit thing now." What what are they doing that 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 helps Congress and it's, you know, drunken spending ways out. It's so it's a little technical, but it's the way they operate. It's the framework that they operate under. It is, uh, it, it has to do with interest on reserves and the payment on int- of interest on reserves. This was something that they never used to do. And they had to get the authority to do it right around the OA crisis and they had been working to get that authority for reasons completely unrelated. Um, so they did kind of bumble into this. But now when you have the Fed go out and buy a bunch of assets, things like treasury debt, they can't legitimately tell Congress any longer, hey, we can't buy all that stuff because we have an inflation mandate. And if we buy all that stuff and create all these reserves, we're going to make it, we're going to knock inflation through the roof. They can no longer legitimately do that because they can pay interest on those reserves in order to keep them in check. Therefore, they don't have that cover anymore. And Congress can just say, pay them more interest, pay higher interest. Now, that still becomes a political problem, obviously. <laughs> um, but but that's, that's what it does. That throws them in the middle of this political storm. Whereas previously, they could simply go back to the mandate and say, you guys can do whatever you want to do. It's on you. It's not on us. We have a mandate. We have to maintain price stability. We can't buy all that stuff that you guys just borrowed and maintain price stability. Well, they can't say that anymore. So are there things in your uh, – you are somewhat 
you know, on on the current inflation, it's complex and it's it's not just a, a monetary source of the inflation. But are there things coming, you know, in the next decade or so that to to be concerned with in terms of some sort of fiscal effect, the predictable things coming that could really shake things up and cause serious problems and whether or not I should be buying more crypto or hoarding gold or or whatever. Norbert, I'm really just asking, you know, what should I be doing? For, I should be going into a lot of debt, right? Because then the, the inflation will help me out, right? So, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> so in terms from the, from the governing the country standpoint, uh, the thing to worry about is this sort of massive off balance sheet debt that we know is coming due unless those Medicare, unless Medicare and social security are changed drastically. Um, and the easy way or the, actually the easy, the normal way of dealing with that would be to borrow more money for the treasury to sell more treasury debt. And, you know, if, if, if there is too much of that, then you are in a situation where you have a banana republic, you know, sort of printing money to pay its debts. Um, it's very difficult to say exactly how much is too much, exactly when you reach the point where it's too much. Uh, that's not easy to say. But, but given how much we have right now and how controversial it is at the moment, and politically, what it's going to look like to start paying large banks from the government to large banks, transferring billions and billions of dollars a year, we sort of have a problem that we might want to start addressing sooner rather than later. Um, because if we wait too long for those trust fund deficits to, to hit, and we have no choice but to make large increases in our borrowings, treasury borrowings, then your, you know, one way out of that problem is to create inflation, which, as we know right now, kind of controversial, kind of problematic, not exactly fun. Uh, and uh, and and so the other way of doing it would be to have the Fed buy it up and try not to create inflation, but that would mean that they're going to have to pay those large banks billions and billions of dollars a year. Um, and at some point, I don't know that it matters because if, if the, if the payments get high enough, then, you know, there's a, there's a profit equation going on there, right? So some of that money is going to leak out and we're not talking about an ironclad system. We're talking about something that has not been tried in that high interest rate, high inflation environment. Um, it's the opposite of the approach that we're used to in terms of where we used to have a Fed, believe it or not, a Fed that was less invasive, less expansive, a uh, little bit more passive. The, the banking system was done in a scarce reserve regime. So the idea really was for the Fed to be as hands off as possible. Well, we're way past that. Um, and I don't know that anybody's... Well, I mean, some people do, but I mean, I don't know that the general public has a full understanding of that, um, you know, exactly how different that is. Because it's worked so far, but it's worked in that low inflation environment, and we're, which we're leaving. <laughs> so so we're, we're entering new territory. If we're going to be honest, we're, you know, it, it's not easy to predict, even to, a, even to an even greater degree now, how this is going to end up.
So if we, so there are, you know, fiscal things that we would need to take a hard look at the the bill that's coming due for social security and Medicare and, and actually do the hard political choices that, that this requires. Um, is that sort of the number one thing? Uh, do we need to do something to, uh, harness or constrain the Fed's abilities to do these new uh, sort of working with Congress and helping Congress in its in its spending. Um, I mean, is there what what are the short term things to sort of the good good government, good things we can do to try and maybe mitigate this in the in the near term? The the good government things that we can do are to address the entitlement issue. Um to uh both both Social Security and Medicare and, you know, come up with a credible way of addressing or fixing those problems, lowering the spending component of that, getting more market based uh, in, in, in that sense. And on with the Fed um, changing their mandate and if and, 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 and you look, it's Congress. Congress gives them their marching orders. Congress can tell them they have to shrink the balance sheet. Congress can tell them they have to go back to a scarce reserve regime. Congress can tell them we're not going to target prices anymore. I mean, Congress should do these things. Um, when you say short term on the Fed side, I'm worried because it takes forever to get anything like that done with the Fed. Um, you know, and obviously we've been fighting. For generation, well, I don't know for generations, but we've been fighting. Multiple administrations have decided, you know, that they don't want to touch any of the entitlement stuff. But those are really the things that need to be done. Uh, that and restraint, restraint from doing something like a green new deal, uh, an industrial bank, you know, like <laughs> all that kind of stuff, right? Like that—that's just going to magnify the other problems that we have. It really is, at the end of the day. It, it's it, it comes down to as simple as it's 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 fantasy to think that you can just print a bunch of money and spend it on whatever you want and get more real resources that way and not have any negative consequences and we have to face up to that Thanks for listening. If you enjoy Free Thoughts, make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Free Thoughts is produced by Landry Ayers. If you'd like to learn more about libertarianism, visit us on the web at libertarianism.org.